Jen Ra, and you're listening to Spirit of the Dawn, Podcast 3. Today, Part 2 of a three-part podcast, The Michael Teachings, with spiritual teacher and author, Shepard Hoodwin. Every single day since whence I wake, I feel the same, somehow I have changed, could do the people of the street. Yeah, made me feel it Somehow life is sweeter every day Somehow life is sweeter every day hey, uh, You've gotta find a time to change Gotta find the time to find this time to embrace The colors, fine lines and shades It makes this place, it makes this place great I'll embrace the change Whoa, whoa, I'll embrace the change Whoa, whoa from beautiful Ashland, Oregon, I am Pleiadian Emissary of Light, Caroline Ra. Thank you all for joining me today. Welcome to Spirit of the Dawn. I am delighted to share with you part two of a three-part podcast with my guest, Shepard Hoodwin. Shepard is a compassionate and wise spiritual teacher who channels Michael, a causal plane group entity who teaches system that shows how we set up each lifetime here on Earth. In this episode, we'll be taking a look at the Michael chart Shepard prepared for me and exploring the essence choices I made before I began the cycle on Earth. To get more out of today's podcast, you can view the chart that Shepard prepared for me by visiting spiritofthedawn.com and clicking on Part 2 of the Michael Teachings with Shepard Hoodwin and then clicking on the link you'll find there. Now let's continue our conversation with Shepard. I channel what I call Michael reading charts, which are a profile of an individual that has over 20 pieces of information as defined by the Michael teachings. Caroline is posting her Michael chart on her website, so you can all follow along if you'd like to do that. The chart is divided into two sections. Essence is another word for your soul. And overleaves is another word for your personality. So the traits that are part of your essence are permanent as long as you are incarnating as a human soul on Earth. Everything in the top half of the chart stays the same in all of your human lifetimes. The bottom half of the chart, overleaves, is your personality that changes or at least can change from lifetime to lifetime. And so that's more the outer layer of who you are. The essence is more the inner layer of who you are. And within essence is you as a spark of the Tao, the eternal being who chose to be, for example, a sage or a scholar or a king or a warrior on this planet. You'll also notice on the chart that there are four headings at the top of each of these sections. Inspiration is about the inner world. Expression is about bringing what is in the inner world into the outer world. Action is more purely about the outer world. And assimilation is off to the side, studying, taking notes, and so forth. So we can figure out a great deal about a particular trait just by knowing where it sits on one of these four columns. We call these the axes. The first three are divided into ordinal and cardinal. Ordinal is detail and cardinal is big picture. 
ordinal is contracted, cardinal is expanded. So we're going to explore the first and probably the most important trait on a Michael chart, which is the role, the type of soul that you are. And Caroline, you are a sage soul, as am I. So we have that in common. Sage is on the expression axis. We know that the role is your way of being, it's your style, it's the kind of soul you are, it's the things you like to do, it's how you approach life. And so we know that your style is expressive, that you are a soul who has a fundamental, profound need to express yourself. And this often, but not always, manifests through communication. Now, communication is often verbal, but it could be communication through your body, such as being a dancer. It could be communication through art, etc. But there's always a message and an insight that sages want to convey. There are two soul types, two roles that are expressive. The other is called artisan. Artisans like to express through form, through detail. It's contracted because it's ordinal. So artisans like to create with their hands. They like to make art. They like to cook. They like to make their own clothes. They like to fix the plumbing. So they like to express themselves in down-to-earth, tangible ways. Sages like to express through intangible ways, like ideas. They're not physical things. They're mental things. There's quite a bit of commonality between artisans and sages because they're both expressive. So sages might also be very good uh, painters, artists, but what the sage wants to get out of that experience is to communicate, whereas when the artisan is painting a painting, it's more about creativity through form, creativity for its own sake. It's not necessarily about putting a message into it. Many of the traits on the Michael chart have a positive pole and a negative pole. There is nothing on the Michael chart that is intrinsically good or bad. They're all beautiful, really, just like there's no color of the rainbow that's good or bad. Every color is beautiful when it's coming through in a clear, light-filled way, and any color can be ugly if it's muddy or distorted in some way. It all depends on how it's used. So all of your Michael chart, uh, chart traits can be beautiful when they're in the positive pole, and they can be ugly when they're in the negative pole. It's not better to be one thing over another. It's just your color palette that you're learning to use in this lifetime and all your Earth lifetimes. The positive pole for the role of sage is expression, and the negative pole is oration. Sages in the negative pole can be verbose. We can go on and on and on without being very precise, without considering our audience. We can overwhelm the people we're talking to with just too much information, too many words. So it's the need to express, but it's out of control. It hasn't been mastered yet. It just can be a lot of noise. It can be irritating. It can get on people's nerves. The older the soul, or the more the individual person in this lifetime 
has worked on mastering expression, the less likely he or she is to be in the negative pole. So you can have um, a young soul who has been aware of the problem and has worked hard to choose her words carefully and to be considerate of her audience. And you can have an old soul who's still very sloppy about that. So there's nothing about the age of the soul that absolutely determines whether someone will be in a positive pole or negative pole. As Michael is fond of saying, all is choice. If you choose to be in your negative pole, you'll be in your negative pole even if you're in the last lifetime here on Earth. So knowing that you're a sage can help you love and understand yourself better. You can look back on your childhood where you might have been one of those children who was always performing for everyone, always trying to get people's attention. Sages intrinsically need the attention of other people to do our job. If we are going to communicate with people, they've got to be paying attention. And you'll see this, and all children do this to some degree, because all children need some attention. But the sage children will be going constantly, Mommy, Mommy, look at me, look at me, I do this, look at me. You know, and sometimes other people, especially adults, make you wrong for that. They, they say, oh, stop being such a pest, and you always have to be the center of attention. Well, there's a good reason that sages need to be the center of attention. It's their job. So we learn to not judge ourselves for our own nature. We can also learn not to judge other people who do not have this strong need to communicate. So, for example, if you have friends who are not sages, who are not good at returning phone calls or answering emails uh, or, um, you know, getting back to you when they said they would, this can be very irritating for a sage, very upsetting even, because why aren't you paying attention to me? But it could also be cause for judging them because you as a sage don't have that problem. You're very good at communicating and you value it, and so you do it. And you don't understand why other people don't. Well, if you know that so-and-so is a warrior, you can rationalize that, hey, they're not great communicators necessarily. They're off busy, you know, d digging a hole or doing, you know, what they think is important. And you can have more forgiveness for other people not having the same set of strengths and weaknesses as you have. Any questions or comments on that, Caroline? No, I've been laughing quietly because I, I certainly do like attention. <laughs> Yes, and you have your own podcast. I've written several books. And I feel in my deepest heart of hearts that I'm not going to allow myself to die until I've gotten so many books published. They can't just sit on my hard drive unpublished. There is just such a drive that um, I'm not doing my sagely job until I do this. And you will find a lot of sages feel, you know, this kind of internal publisher perish. 
uh, idea or the need to get out the podcast or the need to make the website or whatever. What we sages are very good at is mediation. We are diplomats. We are born diplomats. We are born translators. We know what other people are trying to say, and we can explain between two people who are not communicating very well. Sages are the most social of all the roles. I have had so many people say to me, Shepard, you have more friends than what I've ever met. You know so many people, and I do. Now, a sage can also be an introvert. It sounds paradoxical, but I spend a great deal of my time alone and in quiet because sages and artisans are the most sensitive of the wolves. Uh, we feel things uh, very deeply, and there's a reason for that that I won't go into at this moment. But um, being quite sociable and apparently extroverted doesn't mean that we don't need our downtime because we do. Yes, that would definitely be me. I'd love to be uh, with myself a whole lot, and uh, and I also like that attention. So it's a nice combination, I guess, if you do it right. <laughs> yes, right. Mm -hmm. Nice balance. If you bring that balance to to your life, it it works out really well. I'm going to talk about the other uh, six roles. Uh, servers are the most Populous role accounting for 25% of the population. You find a great deal of them in Asia. So the whole gentle character of the Chinese and the Indians can be partly accounted for uh, by the fact that there are so many servers in these countries, maybe as many as half of the people there. Servers and their positive poles are known for being kind, gentle, and they're often found in the hospitality industries. They like waiting on people. They like helping people. They don't mind making your bed or changing your bedpan. A lot of nurses are servers as well as a lot of priests. In the negative pole, bondage, servers can be manipulative. They can do things, quote, for your own good. Uh, they, they like to be behind the scenes. They don't crave the spotlight like sages do. But the, the distortion of being behind the scenes is manipulation. So they can be manipulative. Priests are the cardinal inspiration role, and priests are always looking for the higher good. Priests want to heal people. They want to help people get on their path. Uh, they are the most compassionate of roles. They're more emotional than sages. Sages and artisans are intellectual. Servers and priests are more emotional. And so if something inspires them emotionally, they may not examine it real carefully, and that can lead them to uh, get, get trapped in a cult, for example because they feel inspired, but maybe they didn't read the fine print, that kind of thing. You will find that a majority of doctors are priests and or scholars. They may have 
maybe a priest with secondary scholar influence, maybe a scholar with secondary priest influence, a great number of therapists, psychotherapists, healers of all kinds are priests. You have secondary priest qualities because you have a priest essence twin. Your essence twin is your twin soul or twin flame. And you have a high amount of what we call bleed through when your essence twin is discarnate, meaning that soul is not in a body right now. That soul is on the astral plane. So when they're on the astral plane, it's almost as if they're living inside you. That they are um, adding their energy to yours. And so even though you're a sage, you have some strong priestly qualities. So uh, being a healer, being, caring for others, wanting to inspire people. So you, with this combination, like to communicate inspirational ideas. You are primarily a communicator, but with that priest bleed through, you can also communicate in a highly inspirational manner. That sounds really very interesting to me. It is so what I do with my life, and uh, I definitely feel that other presence that you talk about as someone being with you, and uh, it's very, uh, I really love it also, and it's very beautiful, and seeing how when you did the chart, seeing all of this, it was very easy for me to um, see my life in a much more um, lit up way and uh, to understand it more deeply. The next role is artisan, and artisans are the second most common role. I mentioned that they're good with their hands. You'll find them in all the crafts. You'll find them as fashion designers and models. Um, Meryl Streep is a beautiful example of an artisan actress. She expresses herself, she creates through the craft of acting. Compare her to a sage actress, Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine is basically, plays Shirley MacLaine in every part she does. Artisans being ordinal find it much easier to subsume themselves to the role, and so they can look very different from role to role. So those actors who, who seem to morph all the time are often artisans. The actors who are more a strong personality tend to be sages. Craft is a, a, a key word for artisans. They love mastering crafts, the craft of acting, the craft of painting, the craft of fixing your plumbing. Uh, they tend to be very skilled people. They can also be people who are really smart structurally, but not so smart intellectually. So, you know, in our, our educational system, we reward the sages and scholars who are good at multiple choice tests, who retain knowledge. And we disincentivize people who have different kinds of intelligence. So you'll have maybe the kid who's not very verbal, but who can take one look at your car and figure out what's wrong with it because he can see in a three-dimensional way that you and I couldn't begin to do. And so one of the 
things we learn in the Michael teachings is how to respect different kinds of intelligence. We tend to think verbal intelligence is the only kind, but it's not. And the artisans often display a kind of genius for things that they may not be able to articulate. The two action rules are warrior and king, and they are the simplest people. Simple in the sense of they look at one thing at a time, things are cut and dried, it's yes or no, it's real or it isn't real. Uh, they don't need a lot of explanation. They tend to be the strong, silent type, although there are some who are quite loquacious, depending on other influences on their chart. So, for example, a warrior might be like the man from Marlboro Country, you know, the strong, silent type. Mm -hmm. But if you have a warrior who has a discarnate sage essence twin, he might be a chatty Cathy. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you have to look at the chart as a whole. You can't just look at one thing at a time. For Warriors those, uh, love to work. Chatty Cathy was the doll where you pull on the neck. Was that right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And people who talk a lot are sometimes insulted as being Chatty Cathy's. Warriors love to work. They love to be productive. They like getting a quantity of work done, not necessarily a quality of work done. So they are, they're not so detail-oriented generally. They like to roll up their sleeves, dig the ditch, do what needs to be done. They are the most sexual of the roles. Of course, sexuality is common to all human beings. But warriors suffer the most if they don't have a regular sex life. And for the warrior, it's pretty down and dirty. You know, there's not necessarily a lot of finesse to it, but they make that up in sheer um, instinctive drive, like a, like a um, jackhammer. They're the earthiest people. Uh, they're the bawdiest people. They often have a great sense of humor, but when it's time to get back to work, then it's work. Kings are like warriors, but they are more big picture people. So they lead others to action. And so they have to be more diplomatic and magnanimous than warriors do. Warriors can be um, very blunt and harsh. Um, Dick Cheney is an example of a warrior. Um, uh, kings, example of a king would be uh, Donald Trump, John Kennedy, uh, they have a lot of people that they need to coordinate. And so in the positive poll, kings uh, seek to master themselves rather than lord over others. But in the negative poll, they can be tyrannical. They can be people who are used to getting their own way. They can be very dominant and, and overtly controlling. The last role is called scholar. And scholars are people who step back from life, observe it, and take notes. They love to learn. They tend to be voracious readers. You will almost invariably find that they have more books in their library or on their Kindle than most of the other roles put together. They tend to uh, read quickly. They devour information. And this is especially true if they have what we call intellectual centering, because they will want to assimilate through their mind. 
But there are scholars who are emotionally centered who assimilate through their emotions. And so they might be more collectors of music and art or mementos. Those who are centered in their bodies, we call that the physical center or the moving center, may assimilate more through travel, for example. And there's no one who loves to travel more than a moving center scholar. They just love it. It's a way for them to collect experiences through their body. So we could go on all day about the seven roles. It's endlessly fascinating. There are many good books out about the Michael teachings that goes into the various roles. My book is called Journey of Your Soul. It's available in print and um, through all the ebook uh, formats. You can find more information about that on my site. I also have a bibliography on my site about the other Michael books that also go into great detail about the seven roles and the other chart items. Do you have any questions or comments at this point, Caroline? I definitely do. Thank you, Shepard. Um, now, my essence twin is discarnate. For someone who has an essence twin that is incarnating, it is possible that they don't actually know that person and are never going to meet that person. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And would that person still have an influence on their life or less so? Less so. Some, but less. Okay. This is very interesting. Uh, if your priest essence twin were to incarnate into a body tomorrow, you would suddenly be less priest-like. And it would be quite obvious because you would have less bleed through. That soul would be busy with his or her own life and would no longer be bleeding through into yours. Right, right. I totally understand that, yeah. Now, if you know your essence twin, let's say it's your best friend, or it could be your mate, but this is not necessarily a soulmate. This is not necessarily a lover. You're not gonna be lovers with your essence twin very often because when you are, it is so intense that it tends to blot out everything else that you might want to do in your life. So that's just a once in a while thing. But let's say it's your best friend. You might bleed through in the way that best friends might finish each other's sentences all the time, that kind of thing. You might pick up habits from each other very easily. So there would be more bleed through than if you hadn't met your essence twin. Okay. Uh, now we're going to actually get into areas that I don't completely understand. The cadence and the cadence position. And so I'm going to listen very closely to your explanation because <laughs> I still want to uh, try to integrate all this information into my knowing. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not, uh, it's hard for me to do this. So I'm going to listen. You're on now. Here we go. Right. This is called your casting. Okay. And I know a vast number of people, as soon as you start talking about numbers, their eyes cross and they <laughs> go in the corner and, and curl up in a ball. So uh, if this is true of you, I want to assure you that this is simpler than it will appear to be uh, at first glance. Okay. Basically, we are a part of uh, a small group that's 
uh, inside a larger group, inside a larger group, inside a larger group. So it's like those nesting Russian dolls. Did you ever see those little dolls that, that you that there's a, a littler doll inside a bigger one, and then you open that up, and there's a still littler one? You know what I'm talking about? I, I have some from Russia, yes, that my yeah. grandmother gave me, yes. Okay, so each of us is in a group of seven souls called a cadence, and you have a position in that, that uh, seven. You happen to be in the third position of your primary cadence. Cadence just means a group of seven. Each of the numbers, one through seven, correlate with each of the seven roles, and three happens to be the warrior number. Why is it the warrior number? Well, warriors are the third most ordinal role, the third most common. So it's quite elegant. It all fits together. But you don't have to take all that in right at the beginning. Just know that if you are third in your cadence, you are a warrior position sage. Your cadence, in this case, this kind of cadence, your cadence is all sages. And you're the warrior cast sage slash priest. So that means that as a sage, you like to do your sage thing. You're communicating your insights in the warrior domain, especially. So that means you're a practical sage because warriors are practical people. The, the, the domain of the warrior is business, productivity, law enforcement, military, getting things done, bringing order to the whole, organizing things. So you are not an airy-fairy sage. You are a down-to-earth sage. You are good at business. You see something that you want to do, let's say something you want to communicate, and the way your mind works is that you find a way to make it happen. You find a way to build the website, to build the podcast. If you don't have the technical knowledge, you know how to find it. You know how to get things done. It doesn't mean that you feel like a warrior. Uh, warriors have an instinctive drive and earthiness about them that is unmistakable. When you have warrior casting, you may not have that sort of grunt, earthy quality, but you behave like a warrior in some ways in that you get a lot of things done and it's important to you to be productive. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense and it's very helpful. <laughs> now, the nesting doll, that group of seven is inside a group of seven sevens called the greater cadence. And your whole group of seven is in the fifth position of your greater cadence. And this is still a pretty important influence on you. Maybe not quite as dominant as the, the first one, the three. And you see that on your chart, because as you scroll across, the number three comes after the words cadence position. The number five comes after the word cadence. So your cadence is fifth in its greater cadence. Five is the sage number. You're already a sage. It doesn't add anything new. Except, with the numbers, it's five is ordinal. 
you know that sage is a cardinal role. So sage, as a cardinal sage, you want to influence a lot of people. You want to deal with big ideas. Um, you want an audience. With sage casting, it's ordinal. So you resemble a sage, even if you're not a sage, when you have this casting. But it's one-on-one -on -one stuff. It's like being able to counsel people one-on-one. -on -one. And I have this in my chart, too. So I'm a sage, so I love speaking to a large audience. But I'm also really good at counseling people one-on-one. -on -one. I don't have to have a large audience because I have that sage casting where it's reversed. It's ordinal, not cardinal. Make sense? Oh, totally. Totally. And I totally... Uh very similar to you in that I, you know, the one-on-one -on -one, uh, counseling work and coaching work and all, and I enjoy that a whole lot. And that all makes tons of sense. Yes, the math doesn't make sense to me totally still, and that's okay because I'm getting through that. Um, <laughs> now, we're, we're with greater cadence now? Right, and I just will parenthetically say that the reverse between ordinal and cardinal with the numbers is also true of your three primary cadence, warrior. So warrior is an ordinal role. Warriors like to just get things done on their own. But when you have warrior casting, it means that you like to get things done in a big way with a lot of people. So again, it reverses. And the, the beauty, the elegance of the universe in setting things up this way is that it means that all the good stuff about each of the roles, artist and sage working, whatever, all of it gets expressed in both cardinal and ordinal ways. So, I mean, it'd be a shame if there was only sage energy, which always has to have a huge audience, and was not able to bring that insight and wisdom into the one-on-one. -on -one. So reversing these is an elegant way to make sure that all the bases get covered. It makes for a much more developed experience. Yes. Mm -hmm. Michael says that no matter what role you are, because you will always be a sage as long as you're a human being on Earth in all your lifetimes, that no matter what your role is, you can experience all of life, everything that this planet has to offer. And part of the way that happens is through the other items on your chart. It gives a lot of variety. Now, your whole greater cadence. Now, greater cadence is 49 souls, right? It's seven sevens? Yes. Okay. Your whole greater cadence is first in its string of however many greater cadences. One is the server number. Why? Because servers come first. Servers are the most populous and the most ordinal of the roles. And the fact that they come first means that in this universe, service is the number one thing. It's that everything is built on the concept of service, even if you're not a server. The fact that your greater cadence is in the first position gives you a slight flavor of the server. It also means that the three and five ahead of it get underlined because it's the first time in your soul family uh, that the sages 
come up with three and five. So it just makes it all the stronger. So it's like being in a first grader cadence pushes you, your whole grouping to the front of the line in a certain sense. And how would my, my greater cadence being a server manifest in terms of the work that I do? Well, it's a slight influence at this point, but there's a general pervasive serverly quality about you where you want to help people uh, in a cardinal way, in a big picture way, but you want to help people, um, for example, democracy is a server idea. Uh, wanting to make sure that everybody's needs for food and shelter and clothing are taken care of. That's a server idea. Wanting to make sure that people are physically cared for is a server idea. And so having that in your chart gives you a little bit more of that quality. And also probably um, was helpful in being a mom for many years also. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Um, that is all absolutely fantastic. And it's interesting. We've talked about how, um, I guess we're getting up to more stuff, but, um, are you in any of those cadences or greater cadences or anything? Are we I'm in a spiritual family that is right next door to yours. We are not in the same entity, but we are right next door. So that was a great question to lead onto the next chart item, which Good. is cadre entity. Okay. I've talked about nesting dolls. Yeah. So, so far what we have is several groups of 49 sages, and you have a location in them. You put that together with similar strings of souls, but of different roles. So you have, let's say there's a few hundred sages in your soul family, numbered the way we talked about it here. And then there's similar groupings of some or all the other roles. And it adds up to a total of, say, one to 2,000 souls. That whole thing is your soul family. And we call that, again, your entity. Everyone in your entity feels like your brother or sister. And in a moment, we can look at a list of some celebrities that are in your soul family that you may or may not feel a particular affinity for. Maybe people you've followed or that you've had an interest in. People that you know in your life could be your you know, friends from childhood. Or people you meet and you feel an instant connection. Often they are in your soul family. If you put seven of those together, seven entities make a cadre. And people who are in other entities of your cadre are like your first cousins. Many of your mate relationships come from people who are in other entities of your cadre. Twelve cadres make a cadre group. And some people call that an energy ring. And people who are in other cadres of your cadre group are like your second cousin. And then groups of those join together. See what I say, mean about nesting dolls? 
It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually you discover that you are one with everything in the universe, but you're not at the same distance in that oneness with everything in the universe. So let's say you're a cell in the finger of the body. You're going to be closer to other cells that are in the finger than a cell that is in the heart. But you're still part of the same body. Right. So you are in what Michael threw me numbers as cadre three entity one or three one. I am in cadre three entity two. So we are next door neighbors. And the chances that you have had shared past lives with someone either in your entity or a neighboring entity of your cadre uh, are very high. So when we first connected, we instantly felt like long lost best friends. You know, it was just instantly very easy to talk to each other, to understand each other, to be on the same page. And that comes through a lot of past life experiences together. Uh, yeah. So it was like we found each other. It was it's yeah. really neat. Yeah. Yeah, and we still haven't met in person, but it almost doesn't matter. It would be lovely. <laughs> but the connection is there and it's recognized and validated. Right. Yeah. And we both we both knew it too. Very interesting. Okay. Now I mentioned that uh, there's a group of twelve called the Cadre Group. Our cadre is first in its cadre group. And your entity being 3-1 is first in its cadre. So that means that you are in the very first entity of that entire cadre group. And that makes you a kind of a leading edge sort of person. It means that, and this is true of everyone in your entity, you all tend to be uh, pioneers. You tend to like to uh, jump in first. You will tend to be the first person um, to try something new. Whether it is long ago you explored a new continent first or settled a new territory first, or whether uh, you are someone who is attracted into new healing modalities before anyone else gets there. It is, it's true of our whole cadre, but it is especially true of your particular uh, entity. So you're going to find that quite a bit. Your entity is also characterized by some specific traits, leadership, motivation, ambition, self-confidence. There's a lot of warriors in your entity and that uh, colors the whole flavor of the entity. Um, you like to explore what's coming next for humanity and pave the way. Some celebrities that are known as being in your entity include, and this is channeling is not 100% perfect. Uh, there, uh, there's disagreements among different channels about uh, who is in what entity, but this will give you an idea of some of the people out there that you may or may not feel connected to. Uh, Shirley Temple. Gerard Butler, 
Winston Churchill, Sean Connery, Patrick Dempsey, Harrison Ford, uh, Matthew Fox, the theologian, Anthony Hopkins, Tommy Lee Jones, Kira Knightley, Patti LaBelle, Jessica Lange, uh, Paul Manette, Kathy Najimy, Clive Owen, Mary Lou Retton, David Sedaris, Sam Shepard, Oliver Stone, Tina Turner, Ayanla Van Zandt, uh, Marianne Williamson, Virginia Woolf, and the author of um, some of the Michael books, Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough. Several Michael channels are in your entity. So it's interesting that you said to me that you would like to channel Michael. There are so many Michael channels in your entity that that would probably be very easy for you to do. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I think that it's definitely something I would like to focus on and uh, might and give it attention and develop that that relationship with Michael. I would really love that. Next item on your chart is your orientation. This is not in any of the books yet. It's a fairly new material. The universe has three prim primary forces. Love is an emotional force, and love is the highest version of emotion in the universe. Truth is an intellectual force, the highest version of it. And beauty is the highest manifestation of uh, matter. So you could say the building blocks of the universe are love, truth, and beauty. And each of us orients in one or a combination of two out of the three. You orient in a combination of love and beauty, which means that as a soul, you are always trying to unite love and beauty. You're trying to find um, how love can be furthered through beauty and how beauty can be furthered through love. I know that's a little abstract, but does that make sense to you? I'm rather obsessed with that, actually, yes. How about that? <laughs> makes complete sense. It's what I think about all the time. Yes, definitely. Mine is uh, love truth, and I'm also obsessed with how can I express the truth in the most loving way possible. And I believe that if it's not loving, it's not true. So, yes, these things really do show up in our lives quite tangibly. You have a warrior task companion who is discarnate. Your essence twin relationship is inward looking. Your essence twin, when you know each other, helps you with your inner lessons. Your task companion helps you with your outer lessons. So this is a soul who helps you with your life task. And since it is a discarnate warrior, it means that you're getting more warrior-style help in getting your life tasks done. So it's just going to help you roll up your sleeves and, and jump into whatever you need to do. This is a soul that could be characterized as one of your spirit guides, but it's not quite the same thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot. It's so interesting because we we're repeating a lot of the same same things over again. Sage and there's the priests, very important, and warriors coming up so often, and uh, it's very interesting that whole energy. 
Right, and when we talked about your uh, server uh, tertiary casting, you're also in a server position entity, so that is, gets reinforced as well. Yeah, definitely. I can see it in all the different aspects of my life and how I maneuver through my day or how I approach things differently than someone else might approach things, uh, which has helped me a lot to understand other people's motivation and how they approach things and how they are supposed to do it differently than me. Uh, <laughs> an appreciation for other people's approaches on things. The next item is your male-female energy ratio. This does not itself uh, dictate whether someone feels masculine or feminine because the concepts of masculine and feminine have many different facets to them. And in terms of your Michael chart, it probably actually fits more with your role. So warriors and kings, whether they're in a male or female body, are interpreted as being more masculine because they're so goal-oriented and down-to-earth. Of course, it depends on what culture you're in and how masculinity and femininity are defined. But in our culture, we think of warriors and kings as, as more masculine people. But this is an aspect of masculinity and femininity which is restricted to just one factor, how goal-oriented you are. The male side of things tends to be more goal-oriented. The female side of things tends to be more process-oriented. You could look at the feminine as being like light from an incandescent bulb that goes in all directions at once. It provides atmosphere, it makes an environment where things can happen. And the way that it was, this would manifest in a stereotypically feminine woman is someone who is uh, creating atmosphere, creating the home. And rather than focusing on one task, she would be doing a lot of things. She would have a pot of stew on the stove while she's um, doing the ironing and goes to pick up the children from practice. And just a lot of different tasks rather than focusing on one. The stereotypical male with high male energy would be doing something more linear. He would head out the door in a straight line, go to work, do that one job, pound away at it, come home, and then sit in the easy chair. So male energy is goal-oriented, and what we find with people, whether they're in a male body or a female body, that if they have high male energy, they tend to hammer away at one task until it's done. And so this may manifest as them being more workaholic. You are not extremely high in male energy, but you have 58% male energy, 42% female energy. And so it is likely that you've been in male bodies more often than female bodies. And it does mean that in the female body, you still tend to be more of a workaholic than uh, someone with higher female energy. Well, it certainly resonates with me because I was, I would, I could even see bringing the male energy even higher, but I am very, uh, it's, there's a really good balance there, the 5842 and, you know, um, definitely, uh, 
definitely feel that male energy a whole, whole lot in my life. Um, it's very present. And I notice differences between my energy and other women who probably have a different percentage. And um, yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting. It is. And you will be attracted to partners who have the opposite. It doesn't have to be exact. But there will be something magnetic with souls who are at 42.58 or in that uh, ballpark. Right, right. Another reason you probably thought your male energy was even higher is the warrior casting. Remember, warrior and king have what we interpret as masculine traits. Yes. Yes. That does all come together and make sense where... Uh... Uh, and is how I experience being inside of Caroline. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And I think I have had a lot of um, male incarnations. Um, I certainly identify with that a whole lot. Your frequency is 40 on a scale of 1 to 100. This is a soul quality. Sometimes when I say this to people, they think, oh, I need to raise it. We're supposed to raise our frequency. That is not what we're referring to. This is a permanent fixed item. Uh, it just simply uh, gives you as a soul a certain texture. And at 40, you're in the middle range, maybe the lower end of the middle range. I do notice that people with lower frequencies have lower voices often. Hmm. And you do have a bit of a lower voice. Um, someone with very high frequency feels dreamy, not quite of this world, maybe buzzy, maybe ethereal. People with very low frequencies, which is pretty rare, um, feel extremely slow moving. They process their experiences um, much more gradually than other people, whereas people with high frequencies tend to buzz through their experiences. There's no better or worse, it's just a different way of experiencing the physical plane. And again, you're in the middle range, so you're going to relate well to the average person. Someone with a very high or low frequency would feel frequency-wise uncomfortable with a lot of people because they're kind of out on the extreme. Okay. I think we all know about that when we have to adjust in a way to someone else's frequency. It might be a little disturbing to us to be around um, something that's way too fast for us or way too slow for us. We kind of yeah. have, have to adjust what we're experiencing and, I don't know, not really necessarily you know, get into their frequency or anything like that, but kind of know that, oh, it's, it's different. They're a little different than I am and, and understand that. Yes, and also the roles themselves have frequencies. Sage and server are mid-frequency roles. Artisan and priest are high-frequency roles. And so priests and artisans are just kind of like up in the sky a lot. It's just even, even with a lower individual frequency, they're more visionary people, more creative, more chaotic. And then... Warriors, kings, and scholars are low-frequency roles. They're very down-to-earth people. So you could look at frequency in terms of role. You could look at frequency in terms of the number. Or you could look at them as a combination. So your middle frequency 
roll and a middle frequency frequency. So uh, there's no contradictions there. Okay. You have had 10 previous grand cycles. And so I need to explain what that means. As a spark of the Tao, as an eternal God being, we each decided to take on a soul. And in your case, you took on a sage soul for planet Earth. Every time you do this, it's called a grand cycle. And you, Caroline, have done 10 of these before being a sage on Earth. So this is your 11th cycle. Every time you do a new grand cycle, you add another layer. It's sort of like the way that you can chop down a tree and see how many rings there are to estimate how old the tree was. Mm -hmm. So you're, you can see how many layers you have. At, with 10 previous cycles, you have a lot of complexity. The average person on Earth has had four previous cycles. The highest number we know any human being has had is 19 previous cycles. So as you can see, there's a wide range of experience on this planet, and it's unusual. There are other planets where the range of number of cycles is much more uh, narrow. So what we have here on Earth is a kind of crazy planet with some very experienced souls and some very inexperienced souls. And we're kind of trying to make this crazy disparity work here. It makes Earth a sort of a um, pressure cooker because people, there are just so many different kinds of souls that are here. Sure. But I find 10 and 11 previous cycles comes up on my charts quite frequently. And how many cycles do you have, Shepard? I've had 16 previous cycles. Okay. And in in those cycles, do we have to actually complete them all the way to completion? I'm, I am I tend to be the kind of person who likes to leave situations, and I'm wondering if I actually <laughs> completed these cycles, because uh, it's kind of in my personality to kind of just, you know, walk away from things. So I'm wondering <laughs> if I actually completed 10. <laughs> Very rarely on a Michael chart, under previous cycles, Michael will dictate ten and a half, nine and a half. Okay. <laughs> for someone who aborted a cycle. You would only do that if you painted yourself into a corner you couldn't get out of. Okay. Where it was just so karmically overwhelming that you decided to chuck it. Generally, if you want to uh, take a strategic withdrawal from a bad situation, you could go hang out on the astral plane for a thousand years or ten or whatever you wanted until you regrouped and then come back and finish. But if you don't finish the cycle, you'll have this uh, feeling of malaise like, I really need to finish this. Okay. It'll, it'll start to haunt you. You just, the, 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 the specter of unfinished business hovers over you. So I'm, I, these cycles are the only thing I think I've completed in my life. I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Very good. Okay. 
I, I can tell you something comforting that sages and artisans being so creative and expressive, we tend to like starting things better than we like finishing them. <laughs> and it takes an act of discipline to finish. But your style of finishing might be more circuitous than, say, a warrior's. Warriors like beginning, middle, end. It's linear, straight line thing. For you, you might like to start something, leave it hanging for a while, go start something else. And then from the second thing you started, it may have given you the key to the puzzle to help you go back and finish the first thing. And that's perfectly fine. Yes. So if you finish things but in a nonlinear fashion, uh, that works just as well, and it's more typical for sages and artisans. So don't beat yourself up about it. Okay. I won't. So we have just, we are having an amazing time talking with Shepard Hoodwin, and we are going over my chart that he prepared for me, and we have just completed the top of the chart, which is my essence or soul, and these are, uh, this is all set up for each lifetime I have on Earth. And next, we're going to be seeing what I chose to express Caroline this time around. I look forward to sharing part three of the Michael teachings with Shepherd Hoodwin as this three-part podcast continues. In part three, we'll continue an analysis of the Michael chart Shepherd prepared for me and explore the overleaves or personality choices I made before I began this lifetime as Caroline. Deep gratitude to Shepherd Hoodwin and to Michael for sharing their wisdom with us today. I invite everyone to visit Shepherd's website, summerjoy.com, to learn more about the Michael teachings and to order their own Michael chart. A big thank you to all of you who have joined us and much gratitude to Brian, Zach, and Synergy for the use of their song, Embrace the Change. Sending love from my home to yours, I am Pleiadian Emissary of Life, Caroline Roberts.